Well, good morning. Happy New Year. Won't you join me and stand as we sing together and ring in the new year together, adoring our Savior. Oh, come let us adore Oh, come let us adore Oh, come let us adore Him. Christ the The Lamb that was slain, life and salvation, His empire shall bring, and joy to the nations when Jesus is King. Come, let us sing a song, a song declaring we belong to Jesus. All we need. Lift up a heart of praise. Sing now with voices raised to Jesus. Sing to the King. For His return, we watch and we pray. seated and as you are we're going to hear from the first of two of our deacon uh, new deacons this year hi my name is dan lever i've been happily married to my wife emily for 21 years and we have two children jonah who is 15 and savannah who is 14 
Now, I am not a public speaker, so far I'm not sure whether I like talking in front of a crowd or a camera less. In all seriousness, I am honored and humbled to have been elected as a deacon here at Pitts. My family and I have grown so much during over eight years here under Pastor Scott, the Kevins, and several community group leaders. Probably like many of you, I don't have a memorable conversion experience. My testimony is pretty simple. I grew up in a Christian family, always going to church. My parents were Christians and my grandparents were Christians. I don't remember a time in my life when I wasn't a Christian. And Emily and I have done our best to raise Jonah and Savannah in the church and in the Word. We really enjoyed watching them both grow in their faith in youth here at Pitts, and they, they both love being in church. It was a blessing to see both of them uh, baptized by Kevin Knight earlier this year. I grew up in Georgia in a town called Milledgeville. I went to a very small country church for most of that time. That's where I came to know Jesus as my Savior. I was baptized at the age of eight, along with my brother and my dad and two others, in the summer of 1986. I remember it being in the summer because all baptisms and our outdoor baptismal were in the summer. For a church with regular attendance of only 35 to 40 on Sunday mornings, baptizing five new believers was some pretty significant church growth. After high school, I went to college at Georgia Tech, which for me, moving from a small town to downtown Atlanta was quite a culture shock. The Lord looked after me there, though, because I met a guy during orientation who was a strong Christian. It turned out that we were assigned to the same dorm, just two doors down from each other. We became best friends and made some other great friends who were believers as well. We all got plugged into Campus Crusade for Christ. While many were drifting away and making, taking wrong paths, I actually grew closer to God during that time and learned from some great mentors. The time in Campus Crusade was really powerful in my life. Several older guys invested a lot of time in us younger guys, teaching us and showing us how to be godly men and how to study our Bibles and how to have a lot of fun. I learned so much during that time in my life. I remember one time in particular at a Campus Crusade meeting one evening when it really clicked with me just how Jesus, as both 100% God and 100% man, was able to take the sin of the world on himself. I actually struggled for a long time with whether I was really saved as a child or later when I was in college. I came to realize that I was saved as a child. It doesn't require a lot of detailed knowledge to be saved. Simply understanding that we all sin and that we can't fix the problem of sin ourselves, but that Jesus can and he will if we will just put our faith in him and ask him to. That's really all it takes. And I had that level of understanding and faith as a young kid in that small country church. So that's all it takes, but that's not where it stops. Once we are saved, we then go through a lifelong process of sanctification in which the Holy Spirit teaches us more and more and draws us closer to God and makes us more like Him. That's what I experienced in college and at many other times in my life, both before college and since then. And I look forward to continuing to grow for years to come here at Pitts. So I want to thank you all again for the opportunity to serve as a deacon here at Pitts. I really am humbled. Thank you. So, Dan, for someone who doesn't like public speaking or speaking in front of a camera, you sure did really good. <laughs> no, Dan's all in uh, in the ministry here at Pitts. He was here with us this past week for our lock-in, stayed all night long, along with uh, Becky Brackett and Linda Strickland, and talked with them after the lock-in, and they, they are promising to have a senior adult lock-in. So, you seniors, <laughs> and they're in charge, so uh, <laughs> y'all be looking for that. So. <laughs> Um, 
But anyway, I uh, would like to welcome you this morning to our worship services. Happy New Year to everybody. Uh, glad you are here this morning uh, in, in church. Uh, and especially if you're visiting with us, we extend a great big welcome to you. And we ask that if you are visiting with us that you take one of the care cards that's in the pew rack in front of you and fill out the information on that. And you can hand that to either myself or Pastor Scott or Jonathan or uh, Kevin, and uh, we would just love to have recollection of your visit. And then on the opposite side of that uh, care card is a place to where anyone can fill out a prayer request. If, if you need to, to let our staff know of a certain prayer request, we certainly would like to know about that so that we can pray for you. But uh, welcome to our church services this morning. We're certainly glad you're here. Have lots of announcements uh, to go through, so let's buckle up. First thing is that... Um, our ladies, uh, women's ministry has a new opportunity for you to read the word daily. She Reads Truth is a five-week reading plan on the Gospel of John, and it begins tomorrow. So for more information on this, um, join the Pitts Baptist She's, um, um, She Reads the Truth Facebook page. And if you have any other questions about that, you can talk to Connie Davis. So that, again, starts tomorrow. If you're not a part of that, go ahead and get on to that if you want to be a part of that program. Uh, again, we just want to say thank you so much for your generosity. This church always goes above and beyond the call. Um, and our goal of Lottie Moon of $70,000 has been blown out of the water. And so we are very, very grateful for that. As of last Sunday, we had collected $95,635. So that's over $25,000 over our goal. So praise the Lord, and thank you so much for your generosity and giving. And um, that's, this is open through the end of the month. So if you want to continue to give, please do so. But thank you so much for that. Um, you probably noticed that our contribution envelopes are not out yet. Uh, the labor shortage has affected the printing business, and therefore it's affected our, our, our getting our contribution envelopes. Um, but they, uh, the company that we received these from has uh, assured us that they are working on this diligently, and they will get those to us as soon as possible. And of course, when we get them, we will make them available to you. And please know that this will in no way affect our ability to proper properly credit uh, contribution statements. So please know that. Uh, next week, uh, we have a lot of things going down next Sunday. Uh, a new members class will begin at 9 o'clock in the gym, taught by Seth Williams. Um, this class is for new members who have recently joined and or those who are considering to joining our church. So sign up today at the welcome desk. We would love to have uh, uh, many folks in that class. But again, that starts next Sunday. Also next Sunday, we will have a 2022 mission trip information meeting to discuss upcoming trips that we plan to take in 2022 in ways that you can be involved. And that meeting is at uh, 5 p.m. Uh, so make sure if you want to be a part of our missions efforts here at the church in that way, come to this meeting. I think it'd be very informative for you. Um, intern applications, we have interns throughout the summer uh, that work in children's ministry, youth ministry, and college ministry. If you know a college A student who is uh, interested in that, uh, we will have applications for those available on the website this week. 
and those applications and uh, references will be due by uh, the end of February 1st. So make sure that uh, you're uh, paying attention to those deadlines. Uh, a list of committees uh, to serve for 2022 and the upcoming years uh, is available on the roundtables in the foyer. Uh, so please take a copy of those home, pray over them, and then next Sunday we will vote on those committees. Uh, there's no activities tonight due to New Year's, but Wednesday night we'll be back to regular schedule and everything uh, going on as normal. So those are the announcements. And now we want to move in time, uh, into a time of prayer. And as we do so, just want to, to mention a couple of families to you. Um, Sherry Seeger's mother passed away early, early Saturday morning. So we want to remember um, their family. And I believe that they're meeting sometime today uh, as far as arrangements. I believe something will take place at Northside, right, Kevin? And so we want to remember uh, their family. And then we also want to continue to remember uh, Ricky and Kim Oxford and the Oxford family and the passing of, of Rachel, their 15-year-old daughter. And um, that service will be held on January the 15th at 2 o'clock. So um, let's join our hearts together, still our hearts and our minds before the Lord in a few moments of silence, and then I will close us in a time of prayer. Father, it is indeed good to quiet ourselves before you. Your word instructs us, Lord, to be still and know that you are God. Father, thank you that in our moments of trial and heartache and pain and suffering, that you are still God, the God of all hope, the God of all comfort. And we pray, Father, that you minister to those who are in need of that, even this day. Lord, thank you for a new year. Thank you, Lord, for fresh starts. And we thank you, Lord, that your word also tells us that your mercies are new each and every morning. And, Father, we are a needy people. We need you, Lord. We confess our need for you this morning. And we thank you, Father, that you are more than capable to meet every need that we have. And so we bring those needs to you, Lord, in faith, knowing, God, that it is you who will answer our prayers. Lord, we come to you this morning and thank you that we can gather into this place this morning and worship you freely without persecution. But, Lord, we know that there are many all over this globe who are facing persecution just because they're Christians. Lord, I pray that you be their strength this morning. Let them know, Father, of your presence in their lives. But Lord, we thank you for the freedoms that govern our country, where we're able to do what we're doing this morning. Help us, Father, to never, ever take that for granted. Thank you, Lord, for the greatest gift and the greatest sacrifice that one could ever give. To love us enough to send us your son, our only way of salvation. And I pray, Lord, this morning that we worship you as a result of that. 
Father, we thank you for uh, what will be sung, what will be said, what will be preached. And we pray that everything that is done is done in the name of the Lord Jesus and for your glory. And we thank you for it. We pray this in his name. Amen. Good morning. Uh, I would like to introduce myself. My name is Jack Trotaway. And uh, I joined, me and my wife joined Fitz Baptist Church three years ago. And uh, I have been given the honor and privilege to become a deacon here at Fitz Baptist Church. And it is with a honor and glory to God that I have accepted this position and uh, want to serve Pitts Baptist Church in this capacity the very best that I possibly can. A little bit about my background. Uh, I was born in August 1946 to Willis and Stella Treadaway. They were devout Christian parents and uh, one of the greatest privileges, as I look back upon my life now, was to be born in a Christian home and uh, be raised to honor and glorify God. And so, uh, on over at an early age, there was no question in our house where we would go to church or not. We always went to church. In 1958, uh, I was baptized and joined the church and uh, and lived Christian life. Uh, uh, I can't say that I really sowed a whole lot of wild oats, but I guess if you would ask my parents, they probably would agree that I did. But uh, as life went on, uh, I realized uh, how important a decision it is to accept Jesus Christ. And uh, uh, it, it, and I remember back, it seems like, at the younger age, you remember I said I joined the church. And uh, I can't sit here and tell you today that I was saved. But as my life went on and I saw how God worked in my life, uh, I came to realize that there was more to uh, a Christian life than just being a church member. In 1974, I came to the realization that I needed to accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of my life. And it would be, it should be a personal thing, not just a, a way to get your name on the church roll. And so uh, I did that and uh, I felt the need to be baptized again because I believe in a believer's baptism. And so I was baptized again. And from that time, my life began to take on a different meaning. I began to look at uh, Jesus Christ then as Lord and Savior of my life and to realize that uh, I had a, a, a job to do. Uh, as, a, as being a Christian, we are called to do God's work in this world. 
And uh, when you look at it as a personal commitment, then you realize that that is what our mission is here, to join the church, become a Christian, and do his will and mission in our life. Uh, I would be remiss to not say that since I have joined Pitts Baptist Church, uh, I think I have learned more about the Bible and what God means for me in my life in these three years that I have uh, in my past uh, 72 years as being a Christian. So uh, I look forward to serving the church. Uh, I appreciate the uh, honor that you have bestowed upon me to do this. And with God's help, I will be the very best deacon that I possibly can. Amen. At the end of the service today, we're going to ask both gentlemen to come front, come up front, and our deacons will surround them, and we'll pray for them as they begin their new journey um, as deacons. Let's stand together and, and continue in worship this morning. I thought no better way to begin the new year than to proclaim what we believe. So let's sing this, this great new song as we proclaim together. In this time of desperation When all we know is doubt and fear There is only one foundation We believe, we believe broken generation when all is dark you help us see there is only one salvation we believe we believe Father, we believe in Jesus Christ, we believe in the Holy Spirit, and He's given us new life. We believe in the crucifixion, we believe that He conquered death, we believe in the resurrection, and He's coming back again. We believe. Let our faith be more than anthems Greater than the songs we sing And in our weakness and temptations We believe, we believe, we believe God the Father, we believe in Jesus Christ, we believe in the Holy Spirit, 
and he's given us new life. We believe in the crucifixion. We believe that he conquered death. We believe in the resurrection and he's coming back again. Let the lost be found, let the dead be raised in the here and now. Let love invade, let the church live loud. Our God will save, we believe, we believe. And the gates of hell will not prevail for the power of God torn the veil now we know your love will never fail we believe we believe we believe in god the father we believe in jesus christ we believe in the holy spirit and he's given us new life we believe in the crucifixion we believe that he conquered death we believe in the resurrection and he's coming back he's coming back again he's coming back again we believe we believe
Amen. Thank you so much, choir. Jonathan, I can see it now. Wheelchair and walker races instead of sword fights, walking cane fights. This uh, senior adult lock-in. And Linda, I guess we'll start it with double shots of Geritol and espresso. So anyway, I can't wait to see how that one turns out. But anyway, uh, let me invite you this morning to turn to Romans chapter 2 in light of uh, two deacons being set aside this morning, being ordained. And with deacons, of course, we think about service. But folks... All of us in the body of Christ are to be servants. And I can't think of a better text that expresses that than Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, uh, where Paul talks here uh, and where I want to bring a message on receiving and responding. Receiving and responding. And we need to think about both of those aspects. Now, before we stand for the reading of God's Word, I, I do want to quickly mention, add one family. Diane Medlin's dad passed away. We want to remember her. That funeral was this past Saturday. And then uh, Pastor Seeger has slipped out to join the family at the funeral home uh, at 1 o'clock today. And they are anticipating a Wednesday funeral. That's tentative, but Wednesday. Uh, receiving and responding. Stand with me, please, for the reading of God's Word. Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. Paul says there, Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God. I want you to underscore that. He's saying in view of the mercies of God that's been shown to you and me. Who are in Christ. He says, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. Father, Father, we do thank you for the manifold blessings that you've given us in Christ. Lord, for the many ways that you have watched over us and provided for us. The way you lead us each day. And Lord, we have to admit that oftentimes we don't even see all of this. If we could see the unseen hand of God in our lives, we would be even more amazed. Lord, we thank you for the shed blood of Christ for our sins, for including us in your family. We are adopted sons and daughters through faith in Christ, and we can cry out, Abba, Father. We have the presence of your spirit with us each day. Lord, I pray with our lives that we would make the appropriate response. I pray for us as a church family, collectively and individually this year, that we would make an appropriate response. 
For it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Perhaps you have either heard or at least read about what is referred to as the monkey trap. In places like South America, Africa, Asia, there are villages where sometimes wild monkeys are so plentiful that they become a problem and a nuisance. But they're very difficult to catch. Villagers have devised an ingenious way to capture them though. They take either a gourd or a small wooden box and they bore a hole in one end just big enough for the monkey to insert an open hand into that hole. But not big enough for the monkey to be able to make a fist and pull the hand back out. And then inside of the hole they will put fresh slices of fruit or nuts or other items that the monkeys love to eat. And then what they'll do is they'll tie a string around one end of the gourd and the other end tightly around the limb of a tree. Now it's not long before the curious monkey comes to investigate. It smells the tree inside of the gourd. It inserts his hand inside the gourd and it grabs a hold of the treats there and holds those treats tightly in its fist. But when it tries to remove its hand, it can't. Again, if it would only open its hand and release its treasure, it would easily be able to get the hand out. But the monkey is simply unwilling to let go of the treasure and it keeps its fist balled up. And this makes it vulnerable now. The villagers are able to either come and capture or kill the monkey. And as they are approaching the monkey, the monkey is going wild, making shrieks. And and it is absolutely terrified at the villagers approaching it. And it's scampering all around on the tether of that rope, trying to get away. But they're able to easily grab a hold of the monkey. Again, all it would have had to have done was let go of the treasure, pull its hand out, and run away to avoid capture. You know, sadly, that's how far too many look at God. They only think, what can I receive from God? What can I grab a hold of from Him in my life? I remember the story of a prominent pastor on the West Coast interviewing a young woman who was trying to get her spiritual life in order. She had gone to this religious group and that religious group, first one church and then another. She was bouncing all around trying to get her life in order. Finally, she said to this one particular pastor, Pastor, I'm trying to receive everything that I possibly can from God. I want all of His blessings. And so I go over here to see what they can offer me. And then I go over here. And now I've come here. I want it all. And you know, that's how people can even be with church. 
They will go to this church and that church, sizing each one up and asking, what can I receive from this one? How about from that one? How about from this one? Which one can give me and my family the most? Now folks, may I say in response to all of the above scenarios, that is not the answer. We are not to simply be like a monkey grabbing a hold of blessings and refusing to let go. And you know, the Bible has a great word to say in our text today about all of this. Paul has systematically been laying out the gospel in the book of Romans. No wonder the book of Romans has been such a long-time favorite book of the Bible among evangelicals. Paul is laying out for the Romans the gospel that he preaches. He wants to visit them and he wants their help. That they would become a new missionary base of operations for him as he continues to take the gospel westward. And so he's laying out for them what exactly is this gospel that he preaches. But that, even while being such a key important thing to understand in evangelical life, is not really the whole motivation behind the book of Romans. You see, the book of Romans shows in laying out the gospel how it is the good news for both the Jew and the Gentile. The Roman church doesn't need to be divided or confused over their diverse makeup of people. The gospel breaks down barriers between ethnicities and nationalities. The Roman church was made up primarily of Gentiles. But now they have Jews also in the church. And Paul's been addressing them in the earlier chapters of the book. What about the converted Jew? Can they come into the church having believed upon Christ? Have they lost out in some sense on the gospel? Certainly not as Paul will show in Romans 9-11. through He's going to show God's plan with the Jew. In and through the gospel he's showing systematically how the, the gospel, how God has broken down the dividing barriers between different people groups and brought about what should be a beautiful unity in Jesus Christ. The book of Romans is actually one of the key places to turn to today when we talk about racial divisions in the modern age. Because you see, Jew and Gentile distinctions in the first century were seen very much in racial terms. And in the church, there truly should not be divisions based on race or ethnicity. We are one body in Christ. But again, in pointing this out in the book of Romans, as I mentioned, Paul has been laying out this gospel that he preaches and that makes us one in Christ. And he's trying to gain missionary support. Now, after pointing out our condemnation and how we have all been under the wrath of God, he points out how we are saved through Christ and all of the blessings and benefits that are a part of that. 
But it's important to see that Paul doesn't stop here. He doesn't present our response to be that of the monkey I told you about who can only grab a hold of the treasure in his hand and refuse to let go. There is an appropriate response that the believer is to make to God's blessings. And that's what he begins talking about in chapter 12. I want you to see with me this morning, our response to the gospel is to be one of a willing offering of ourselves. Read it with me again. He says, therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. So instead of grasping and thinking, mine, 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 like a three-year-old would on the playground, we are to see that the gospel also makes demands of us. The gospel is both gift and demand. It's blessing followed by an appropriate response with our lives. And what is that response? Paul says we are to make a holy presentation of ourselves to God. And what is this holy presentation of ourselves to God based upon? What's the motivation behind it all? He says the motivation behind it all is this plethora of all of the blessings of God in saving us and incorporating us into God's family and filling us with His Holy Spirit. And so in light of all of these blessings, it is the right, the logical, the reasonable thing to do that we would make a holy presentation of ourselves to God. I want you to think about where you were before you were saved. Think about what your life could have been like. Think of your life now. Think of your blessings now. Think of the peace with God that you have now and the assurance that your sins are forgiven in and through Christ. Stop and think of of the depths of sin out of which God has saved you. And folks, ponder all of this. Paul is counting on the fact that you and I have enough of a brain inside of our heads to see this. He's counting on the fact that we are intelligent enough, reasonable enough creatures to comprehend what has happened. And so he appeals to logic rather than just simply giving a bare command on its own. This sacrifice that we are to offer of ourselves is contrasted with the sacrifices of the Old Testament in that it is not the life of another like a bull or a goat or a sheep, but in this case, it is our very own life. Now let's keep in mind also that those sacrifices of the Old Testament were given to atone for sin. Now that the ultimate sacrifice for sin has been given by Jesus Christ himself, there is no other sacrifice for sin needed. But in light of Christ's ultimate sacrifice, what should a Christian offer? And Paul is saying out of hearts of gratitude, you and I should offer ourselves. Everything we are. Everything we have. 
We need to understand the picture here even more. Uh, an Old Testament priest would offer an animal. They would kill this animal and offer a dead animal. But in the new covenant, we are all priests. Peter calls us a kingdom of priests. And so we are to figuratively walk up to the altar and present ourselves. I want you to think of something else also. In the Old Testament, sacrifice was at the very heart of worship. The New Testament points out though that we are now God's temple Sacrifice is still at the heart of worship, but it is the sacrifice of yourself. And so sacrifice is still at the heart of worship, but the sacrifice is you, not an animal. Now folks, I think all of us, all of us instinctively somehow or another know that as believers... We are to be different. We know, for instance, that as we go out of here this morning, it would be totally appropriate to say, get outside of these doors, and all of a sudden on these sidewalks or out in the parking lot, a big brawl breaks out among Christians. We know instinctively that we should not leave this place of worship this morning and this week become adulterers, murderers, Thieves, slanderers, we know something. We, we know that instinctively within us. We know automatically that at some level our Christian faith respond, uh, requires of us to be different than the man of the world. Peter says we are to live as a peculiar people. We are pilgrims just passing through. This world is not our home. The treasures of this world are not what we're destined for. John writes that everything in this world is going to pass away. All of the treasures, all of the things of this world are going to pass away. And he says those who have their, their hope in these treasures, they're going to pass along right with those earthly treasures. But John says the one who does the will of God abides forever. All of these New Testament writers, these apostles are saying one and the same thing. There is a difference demanded of you and me. Who name the name of Christ. It is inconsistent for anybody to, to walk the aisle of a church and to enter the baptismal waters of a church and then go out of that church and there's no change in their life and they go back to living as they've all, always lived. That's inconsistent. That is not in keeping with the gospel because the gospel says if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And what Paul is saying here is because of that newness. And not only that newness that Christ brings, but the strength that the abiding and indwelling Holy Spirit offers us in our lives. Because of this, we are to offer ourselves unto God as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto Him. This is the response that we're to make. And notice what he says about this, this offering. It is to be a permanent offering. He says, present. 
We're to die daily and yet each believer is asked here to, to draw a line in the sand and make a decision about who is going to ultimately be in control of your life. For a Christian, Jesus is to be Lord of our lives. And so with him as Lord of our lives, we're to offer ourselves unto him in a no-turning-back type sacrifice. You know, it's said that years ago when Cortez, when his troops landed uh, off the shores of Mexico and they were advancing in to, to take over the land, he had all the ships in the harbor burned so none of his men could could suddenly become cowards and turn back. There was only one way to go. There was no turning back. And this is how this presentation is to be. And folks, just think about it. If, if everybody who names the name of Christ offered this kind of presentation of themselves, what if every one of us said, come what may in my life, any area of my life, my thought life, my finances, my relationships, my service to God. There's going to be no retreat at all. I give it all to God 100%. Think of what that would look like. Well, I'll tell you what that would look like. In the book of Acts, we see 120 Christians is all in the upper room at the beginning. And God used that 120 to shape the ancient world and turn the ancient world upside down. And we've got more than that here this morning. What are your weaknesses? Give them to God. What are your strengths? Give them to God. What are your trials and tribulations in life that you struggle with? Give them to God. Give everything to God. Lay it all on the altar. Present yourself wholeheartedly to God. It's a personal offering also. He says, I beseech you, brethren, to offer your bodies. He's speaking to the church, but it is a decision he's calling on every member of the body of Christ to make. You know, oftentimes, as I said earlier, we think in terms of what can I receive from God? What can I get? And that's upside down thinking. The Bible says we are to concentrate on what we present to God and then the blessings come. Paul said give yourself. It's to be personal. It's got to be personal because nobody else can live your life this way that, that Paul is calling on us to do. Nobody else can do that. this. You have to be the one to do this. It's kind of like Joshua, back in the book of Joshua, when he said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. It's a dedication and a presentation you've got to make. It's to be a physical offering. He says, present your bodies. The body here, no doubt, stands for the whole of one's life. It could be that Paul is combating the Greek view of life. The Greeks would divide life up between body and soul. And they would go on to diminish the body. They said the body is a tomb. 
It was their dream and goal in life to be free of the body. Now, I have a personal theory why they lived this way, why they divided up body and soul. They did so in order to be able to say, you can have your spirituality with your soul, while with your body you can go out in the world and do anything you want to do with it. But again, that's not biblical thinking. The body is a gift from God, and so we are to offer it back to God. We aren't simply to say, Jesus, I give you my heart, come into my heart. It should be not just my heart, but transform all of me. Lord, you own all of me, lock, stock, and barrel. I give everything that I am and ever hope to be to you. It's yours. You see, when you look back, if you were to look back at Romans 3, in addition to what uh, what, we've, what, what we read here, you find in chapter 3, beginning there in verse 13 of chapter 3, Paul says their throat is an open grave. He's talking about unbelievers. They, they use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asp is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery in the way of peace they've not known. There's no fear of God before their eyes. And so what he's describing there is Man in his lostness and depravity, Paul names their different aspects of our human anatomy, talking about how those were offered as members of unrighteousness. But now that we're redeemed, these same members of our body that we once offered as members of unrighteousness are to be offered to God as members of righteousness. Present all of yourself, he's saying. All of you. Every part of your body. Every part of your human makeup. You're to present to God. As a living sacrifice. It's a perpetual offering. It's, it's living. When, a, when an Old Testament sacrifice was made, it, it was killed. And you know, one day we may have to be martyrs for the faith. Who knows? There, there are Christians all over this world today who are literally giving their lives for the sake of the gospel. And who knows? That might be our lot one day. But you know, for now what we're being called on to give is our life. We're to be a living sacrifice day in and day out. We're to live for Christ in all that we do. I believe it was Dr. John R.W. Stott who said, it's like we're to have the image in our minds. It's like we're to roll out of bed each morning and fall down on our knees with the floor being like an altar. We're rolling out of our bed onto the altar and we're saying, God, all of me, I'm yours today. Whatever comes, what may in life, I'm yours. It's to be a pure offering, he says. Also, it's to be holy. It's set apart because we belong to God now. We're to live for his purposes. And that's what it means to be holy. We're set apart for God. In 1 Corinthians 6, Paul says, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who's in you, who you have from God, that you're not your own? For you've been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. 
We're to be holy because God is holy. There's to be a family likeness in us. Again, as Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 1, he's quoting from Leviticus where God tells his people, Be holy, for I, the Lord your God, is holy. We are to reflect what he has done in and through us in our lives. That's what our lives are to reflect. We are to reflect the Lord. We're to be holy because he's holy. And, and notice what Paul is saying about this, this kind of offering. It, it, it's reasonable. It's acceptable to God. It's desired by Him. It's pleasing to Him. Now why is it he might be pointing that out? Because you'll remember oftentimes in the Old Testament they would present offerings to God and those offerings would not be pleasing to God. Because they were giving to God the leftovers that they didn't want anymore. That was the problem in the book of Haggai and the book of Malachi. When they came back to rebuild the land and the temple, they were making sure that themselves and their families, that all their best stuff was dedicated to themselves. And then whatever was the leftover, they would give to God. And God said in both Haggai and Malachi, I'm not going to accept this offering from your hands. He even said, said in Malachi, if this is what you're going to give me, I wish just one of you would go to the temple door and shut it and not even come into this place to profane my name because I'm a holy God and I will be feared among the nations. Today, people continue to do that oftentimes, giving God the leftovers. Reserving the best of everything they have for themselves. And then if there's something left over of my time, my talents, my spiritual gift, my resources. If there's something left over, I'll give God a little dab of that. In the Bible, Old Covenant and New Covenant both are saying no. You give to God first of yourselves and you give Him the best. He deserves the best. Listen to something else Paul is saying here. We think of worship as something we just do in here on a Sunday morning. And certainly we are to be worshiping, worshiping Him collectively as the body of Christ. But what Paul is also saying is everything about your life is like an offering of worship to God. What you do at work. What you do at school. How you spend your money. What you invest your money in. What you give your energies to. How you talk. How you treat people. Paul is saying all of that is part of your offering to God, which is also part of your worship of Him. All of life is to be this living offering. That's why Paul says in Colossians 3, 17, Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him, 
And this is the kind of life that is acceptable to God, that is pleasing to Him. This is the kind of worship that is pleasing to God. Now, actually today, I'm stopping right here on on purpose. One point, that's all. Let me give you a thumbnail, though, of what I'm not covering that certainly plays into it. (laughs) We aren't even getting into verse 2. Verse 2 talks about a refusal to compromise with the world, which is also a part of this offering. Think of that. Think of how powerful that is. A refusal to compromise with the world and be squeezed into the world's mold is also a part of this worship of God that will be pleasing and acceptable to Him. Paul goes on here also to to talk about how this is the way to discover the will of God. People say, you know what, if God will just lay out his will for me, show me everything about it, then I'll decide if I'm going to do all of this or not. Again, that's backwards. Paul says you do all this other stuff first and then you're able to discern what the will of God is. Then in verses 3 and following, he's going to begin talking about spiritual gifts in the church. And folks, that's not a new section. You see, his point is, when you make an offering of yourself like he's saying to do in verse 1, then it has corporate implications in the body of Christ. The offering of yourself to God is not simply between you and God. Because God blesses you with at least one. One spiritual gift and he begins naming all of those gifts in verses 3 and following and he says by using those gifts in the appropriate way in the body of Christ that too is part of this presentation of yourself and your worship of God there's no such thing as a lone ranger Christianity You know, this morning we're focusing on on the ordination of these two deacons and what they're supposed to do for the church family, how they're supposed to minister and how they're supposed to serve the body. And that's what deacons do. Deacons aren't a governing body in the church where every committee and every teacher, everything in the church has to run through them. Deacons, scripturally, they're not a, a governing body in the church. They are a servant body to the church but again as they carry out their gift of serving the body you're to look at the spiritual gifts in verses 3 and following you've got a gift you're to serve the body and I'm to serve the body just like they are we're all to be deacons servants in that generic sense Folks, remember we aren't to be like the monkey who reaches in and grabs blessings and refuses to let go. We're to open our hands and we are to give our lives away in service to Christ and to Christ's body, which is the church. That's how we are to live. 
You know, perhaps I'm talking to somebody this morning who's not even at this point in your Christian service. In fact, maybe in your heart of hearts, you know this morning, you're not really even a believer. These guys talked in their testimonies about being a part of the church and finally having to grapple with that, that being a part of the church doesn't necessarily mean that you're a Christian. And maybe you're in the same boat this morning. You're a member of the church, but... Maybe in recent days, weeks, or months, you're, you're grappling with the fact that maybe you're not truly born again. Maybe there's no love for the things of God in your life. There's no appetite for the Word of God. There's no sensitivity to sin in your life. In short, you've truly never been regenerated. And I'm going to ask you to unashamedly come forward this morning. Giving yourself to Christ. And when I say unashamedly, I want to I emphasize to you, there is no shame in coming forward and giving your heart and life to Christ if that's what you know you need to do. You might be thinking, but everybody here thinks I'm a Christian. Everybody thinks I'm a Christian. I'm going to be ashamed to go down there and, and admit that I'm not, that I, I've just been playing church. You know what everybody in here is going to be thinking instead? They're not, going to, they're not going to be looking at you that way. They're going to be looking at you rejoicing that you finally got it settled in your life. And again, to those who know, though, that you've been born again, just like deacons are to serve, part of your worship to God, part of your offering is your gift that you offer to this body of believers in service. That's part of your worship. That's part of your service. It is ongoing. It's the sacrifice of yourself. Losing yourself in the service of Christ. That's how we're to respond to God's manifold blessings. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for very clear call that Paul is issuing to the Roman believers that being a Christian doesn't mean business as usual. Everything changes. We live differently. We think differently. We talk differently. Our relationships are different. We serve differently. Instead of doing things that in the long run will benefit us, we give ourselves away to you. And then, yes, you do bless us. But, Lord, we're to give of ourselves. We're to be surrendered. Lord, help us not to be those who just want to hold tightly those blessings and refuse to open the fist. Lord, may we lose ourselves in your will, in following Jesus, in denying self, in picking up our cross, and following Christ daily. Indeed, may we roll out of bed each morning and onto the altar where we say, here I am, God, I'm a living sacrifice today.
Lord, may this be the example that we set for our families, our friends, our co-workers, our fellow students, and all of those around us. May they see the difference that Christ makes in a person's life. In that it's not just words. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand, please?